Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, isn't everybody at least talking about organisational and brand purpose, environmental and social governance, corporate social responsibility and the rest? Just about everybody is also thinking about how they do this stuff and do it authentically. And at what point do they start telling the public that they might be doing some good stuff in these areas? There's no consensus on this at all at present. Some say purpose is fundamentally horseshit. We might have heard that a bit from a virtual marketing professor. Others say walk the change before you talk the change. But there's another school of thought born out in a new research study that argues for a purpose continuum. What the hell does that mean? Well, many believe a company must reach an advanced stage in living its purpose before it makes it central to marketing and communications. Think the usual suspects of Ben and & Jerry's and Patagonia. But this new research project we'll get to shortly around consumer expectations on this front is really getting the attention of some brands and marketers as we speak. In a nutshell, it suggests that companies can and should take the public with them on their purpose journey, not at the end. And perhaps a little surprisingly, while consumers are attuned to the possibilities of purpose washing and outright spin, there is less tolerance for companies they deem to be born purposeful, but somehow mess up. Again, Patagonia and Australia's Thank You are two which come to mind. Thank You has hit that headwind, which we'll get to a little bit later. Conversely, though, companies that are starting out or are still on a trajectory to purpose have a lot more leeway from consumers to make mistakes even when they might be going public with their ambitions. Indeed, if the research is right, people want to know and want transparency for where a brand or organisation is at on their journey. The dairy industry is a classic case in point. It's facing all manner of environmental, health, animal management and climate crisis challenges, which it is yet to fully solve. But collectively, the industry has been publicly communicating its plans, technologies and innovation to address these tension points before it actually gets there. In contrast, ME Bank, which is about to be part of the next real challenger to the big four under its new owner, Bank of Queensland, has been driving a purpose agenda for at least five or six years to help Australians get access to the housing market with low cost, low rate, very simple lending products. So we're going to hear a couple of fascinating case studies and we'll discuss this new consumer research commissioned by The Guardian across the Australian, US and UK markets. With us today to talk and walk through it all is Amber Beaumont, Communications Strategy Advisor at Dairy Australia, Scott Dare, Head of Purpose and Customer Advocacy at ME Bank, and The Guardian's Commercial Director, Mason Rook. Welcome to you all. And to Mason first, I think this research you've, you've uh, just completed is really, really interesting. Give us a quick sense of some of the key findings in this consumer research study you've just completed, uh, Mason. The purpose continuum is getting a lot of attention and certainly my curiosity. Uh, welcome and give us the lowdown. Thanks, Paul, for having us. What was, uh, what was really interesting with this research is that what came out of it loud and clear was that purpose is actually not a buzzword, contrary to, I think, old school belief. Um, and that there is a real clear trend that purpose now actually makes great business sense. And it's actually helping businesses and brands 
to create um, competitive distance um, in the eyes and the minds of, of consumers and actually pitch those products as a, as a preferred brand. You know, brands aren't just doing this because they're great corporate social citizens. They're doing it because it actually is delivering good business results for them as well. And one of the things that we did actually see is that when a brand actually has or is considered um, purposeful, it has um, real positive impact on every stage of the consumer funnel. So from brand awareness, favorability, purchase intent, et cetera. The piece that we did find interesting or or, um, was slightly more challenging through the research, however, was that there was no single unifying definition um, in the eyes of the consumer or minds of the consumer as to what purpose actually stood for. And so what was interesting, however, that there was five universal truths or universal kind of um, attributes that aligned a purposeful brand. And that was the brand is um, progressive, trustworthy, empowering, authentic and impactful. And there's two in there that I think resonated really that came through really loud and clear in the research was empowering and impactful. So empowering was arm the consumer with the information, trust them, take them on the journey, share that information and share your brand journey um, and empower them to actually make that decision where they're opting in or opting out of your brand or or picking up or putting down your product on that that kind of virtual shelf. Um, And then impactful. So not just um, share your impact that you as a um, as a corporation or as a company is having by making these changes, but actually enable the consumer to have a greater impact again by opting in or opting out of your kind of your brand journey. Um, and then after all of that, you know, from trying to define purpose, one of the things that we found really interesting, and, and Paul, you mentioned it, was this idea or this concept of a purpose continuum. So brands can often start out by fulfilling, you know, a genuine consumer. Uh, genuine consumer needs. So starting off life as being really utilitarian in nature, so serving a purpose and then actually moving through to become more purposeful um, and delivering more altruistic and kind of more meaningful action. Um, And it was that ability for the consumer to actually see where a brand, you know, brands that were born purposeful started further up in the scale and brands that necessarily weren't born purposeful lower down. But the brand can actually move through that continuum from serving a purpose into purposeful. Um, And I think that's where the opportunity for marketers and brands really exists is how do you take consumers on that journey and shift them through that that continuum? Because this is the issue, right, Mason? It's quite, in some cases, in some areas, the the debate and discussion is quite binary, right? It's like you should or you shouldn't. You you wait till you are done before you talk, all the things we talked about earlier. Um, but this is actually cutting right across that and challenging a lot of perhaps um, some perceptions of how brands go to market on this. If, if consumers or the people or the public uh, see what you're doing transparently, they're okay with it. And that's where some of the conversations or many of the conversations have, have um, really been interesting for us and, and also for, for those brands and marketing managers where they often wait for it to be perfect and they almost go into a high communication hiatus going, no, you know, there's going to be too much backlash because our backyard's not perfectly clean. Whereas through the research, it was abundantly clear that consumers actually wanted to be taken on that journey and to be involved and informed. And then, you know, we'll make a a rational and pragmatic decision as to whether that brand is something that they want to um, engage with. And, I think that was probably one of the most interesting pieces for us is don't don't go silent, share your journey, share the message and share what your brand is doing um, and consumers will, will again, make that call as to whether that is a brand that they want to be purchasing and buying or, or associating with. 
but the risk isn't as great as what we think. And I think you've been caught at least at what your research is showing. So you've been in market with with early uh, with some of these findings. That's the area that's getting uh, a lot of attention from from brand marketers as well as this. Oh, we don't have to have it nailed down. Is that is that? Have I read that? Have I heard that right? Absolutely. Consumers want to hear the journey. Um, engage them early, as I, as I mentioned. So Amber, it's, it's it's interesting because Dairy Australia is almost proving this whole continuum theory right, isn't it? You've you've been quite public in your advertising on the socials and across your own media channels about your ambitions around purpose. But you're not there yet, and it seems to be landing without too much blowback to what to what Mason was talking about. Give us a quick overview of what the dairy industry strategy around this and your communications has been, and welcome, Amber. Good to have you on. Thank you, and yeah, that's right. We know that um, consumers are really wanting to know more about where their food's coming from um, and how it's produced, and we also know that there are some real risks to us um, as Australian dairy that threaten our social licence to operate. So that really um, spurred us on to develop a strategy um, to address these in a really proactive and transparent way. And using Dairy Australia, I suppose, as that trusted voice on behalf of the industry. Um, We're lucky that um, close to 10 years ago, um, Australian Dairy established a sustainability framework. So that really articulates what our promise or purpose is to provide nutritious food for a healthier world. Um, which has four key commitments that sit under that, commitments to the planet, to our animals, to people, and the health and wellbeing of the community. And along with that, we've got uh, goals and targets set out to 2030. So from a marketing comms perspective, that really provides us with the platform um, to speak to our vision, to talk to our story, and also talk about the action that we're taking. So really, we're talking at all points along that continuum. And we're using a range of different channels to speak to our our target audience. And you're flagging up really what your ambitions are rather than necessarily what you've done. Is that right, Amber? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've we've set those those targets. We've got our sights set on that. But there's nothing like sharing case studies and how we're progressing and working towards that. And as you articulated earlier, Paul, some of those innovations and how we're mixing things up in the industry and really trying to drive change for that greater good. And so in the end, what happens? We'll get to the detail a little bit later, but you have been communicating, you've been advertising as well, is that right? Even you know before you reach the utopia? Dairy utopia. That's it, that's it. And you know, it's exactly that point. The risk is greater us not doing anything and staying quiet because it risks these issues and Um, and things that are bubbling under the surface really having an impact for us as an industry. So we need to get on the front foot and be proactive. So we are doing paid media, we're doing PR, we're using our owned channels and we're using the spokespeople of the industry in in our farmers, in our processes to tell their stories and how they're making change. And that is what's really resonating, we're finding with our target audience. We'll drill down a little bit further a little later, Amber, but that's really interesting stuff. And Scott, you've got a very different take, or ME Bank has a very different take on purpose and the products and comms around it, right? You're sort of doing things a little different. It's not as overtly, there's not a, an environmental thing coming at you as a company or an organisation. So when did you start this purpose uh, stuff? How have you been communicating it to the public and, and is it working? Welcome to you too, Scott. Uh, thanks for that, Paul. It's, it's um, great to talk about this subject. I, I, really passionate about it. I think at MeBank, we 
were founded in 1994 um, to help Australians, we were set up to help Australians get access to the housing market, to get access to home loans um, as a bank. And we now offer more than just home loans, including low fee bank accounts and savings accounts. And I, I really feel that that's the main way that we actually execute our purpose, which is to help all Australians get ahead. And it's through having a small number of simple products, products that are great value um, because we know that banking is complicated. Um, we know that people worry about their banking and we know that they're really conscious of it. So helping people to start saving or to spend wisely or to save for their home, um, the, the biggest purchase that most people make in their lives is we see as core to our purpose and what we do every day. Um, yeah, I, I often reflect on... Um, you know, when we rebranded rebranded in uh, 2015, we didn't just tweak the name or change the colours. We actually talked about our purpose and our values and who we were for six months internally with our people before we talked about that externally with any um, with any customers. And that really laid the foundations for where we are today. Did you reinvent your purpose uh, at relaunch or was it a continuation of what you'd already done? What was the difference there, Scott? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question because it, it was, we just articulated it better. It's what we'd always done. It's what we were born to do. Um, we're an organisation that was here to help people get a home, get ahead. We just talked about it differently. Everyone was bought in and really understood the mission that we were part of and what we're working on. So it was, it, it was, um, it, we definitely cleaned the language up and made it as clear as we could, but that sense, that essence of who we were, was has been the same the whole time. Did it land better with your with with your prospects and customers? What what happened as a result of that? Customers are very discerning, especially our younger customers. But they maybe they don't think about purpose. I don't, I don't think that consumers necessarily say, oh, "I want to be with a purposeful organisation." Um, and you can see that with the Guardian's research that Mason covered. That you know, it's about being progressive, trustworthy impactful, empowering, and I think especially authentic. That's that's a real key pillar for me. And that means who are we? Um, what do we say and then what do we do? You know, we have really great products. We see strong word of mouth and advocacy. Uh, and for a long time, the Barefoot Investor was probably our most vocal and powerful advocate. We've taken clear stances on, on issues, things like climate change, um, we're clear about being a carbon neutral organisation that draws in customers. And, and I think one other thing I'd touch on is on an issue like marriage equality, you know, we were active and had a position before the plebiscite. We were active during the plebiscite internally and externally. And the most important part of a stance like that is not necessarily how it resonates with customers. We think it's the right thing to do. Um, but how it resonated with people and how it attracted great people to our organisation. Um, and, and I think that sense of mission is some, sometimes something that's missed through this. And, you know, I work with great people who joined this organisation because of the positions and the stances that we've taken and who we are. Just to, it might sound a little um, nuanced, but your purpose is essentially, your, your, your overarching purpose is to provide, you know, uh, access to, to, to housing and, and home loans for people. But then you've got this other layer, which is a sort of a values layer and the things that you take a stance on. For some companies, the purpose will be the values for you, it's kind of quite, it's slightly different. So am I reading too much into that or is that is that how you see it? You're right. I think it, there is always an internal debate about 
you know, why would we have a position on this? Why would we have a stance on that? Um, it's not like when you choose to, and I think marriage equality is a great example. Um, plenty of people on our social channels uh, would have asked us, why does a bank need to have a position on marriage equality? You, you've got to remember that we, we at the time had about 450 or 400,000 customers. Um, we had 1,500 staff. And we, we consider these things to be about, you know, human rights. It's about all of them having, you know, been treated equally um, and giving everyone a, a fair go. So we think we, we speak for a huge group of people. We care about them. We care about their how they're going. Uh, we, we work with them every day. So it is why have stances, why take positions. They're not just, if they're just for marketing, I think that will stand out really quickly to people. But if you really truly care, I think that resonates extremely strongly. This uh, question is to all you in and around, um, sort of Scott touched on it with some, the values tends to resonate with uh, some of the younger crowd, under 30s, under 40s perhaps, but to all of you, the demographics and consumer segments that you're targeting, um, who are they and with whom is the purpose agenda resonating most? Um, you, you started, Scott, so I might as well just um, go to you first, but that target, where, where is it all landing with the purpose thing? Yeah, it's, there's no question it resonates with with younger Australians um, and with younger customers. But I don't think that that means that people don't make those more considered, uh, educated, discerning choices um, as they get older. I, I think the key is really, you've got to provide a quality product. You can take all the stances you want. If no one's in the market for you know, a good quality product, um, you can be as purposeful as you like. Um, no one will be interested, but yeah, it's, it's definitely with those sorts of issues resonate with younger customers. And what about dairy, Amber? So, you know, you've got a really broad spectrum of, of um, customers and milk drinkers and butter users and, you know, yogurt eaters and you name it. Uh, I'm one of them. So uh, ha, ha, who are you targeting specifically um, some groups that could be more problematic or challenging to the position of dairy or is it across the board? Yeah, that's it. So we actually target a group which we call the change makers. So they're the um, socially conscious part group within the public that they actually represent about 50 to 60 percent of the population. So, but they are really wanting to deep dive into topics. They're wanting to make change. Um, they're the sort of a little bit of the agitators. So they're our target audience. Um, and we are seeing shifts in metrics across the board with that group, and they don't skew towards one demographic or another. But what we did find with um, a recent campaign we ran with The Guardian, which was around our environmental credentials, that that particularly resonated with that younger audience, the 18 to 24-year-old females, interestingly, um, in particular. So that's an interesting insight. What was the what was the messaging within and around the environment from Dairy? So that was really talking to our commitments and actions that we're taking around land, climate, water and waste. Um, but it was really the land and climate um, creative and messaging that really engaged them. You know, we were seeing kind of 12-minute dwell times on our articles, which was huge, um, but, yeah, particularly um, in engagement from that younger demographic. Yeah, interesting. And so it's hard to, to, I guess, keep everyone happy. So what happens when you do that to that segment and you might have some other people who are maybe more climate cynical or environmentally less empathetic? Was there anything that came across in, in, in the crosswinds on that? No, I guess we worked with our media agency, Hatched, um, and we developed those Helix personas to really um, target the relevant audiences 
and be in the places where they are engaging in related content or purchasing products or so on. So it was a very um, targeted approach and buy. And the general feedback and from a brand study that we did was really high recall of the messages, recall of the campaign and feeling very positive, a strong sense of positivity to what the industry was saying. So that all um, suggested that our tactics and approach there was was right. Mason, there's probably two prongs for you. You've got The Guardian and what it does with its readers and, and you've also got the research. And so in that sort of same question to Amber and Scott around where this purpose stuff is landing, what archetypes or people uh, for The Guardian readership and from the research, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think it was really interesting. Amber calls them um, change makers. Some of the, where, where we see the greatest impact is actually less around like a demographic but more of a mindset. And so we did actually circa 12 months ago, we did some um, really, again, great research on trying to understand who our consumers are and, and something like two thirds of our um, readers and consumers are actually self-identified as, as a progressive audience. And that's where we see uh, this message really resonating um, the best. Now these guys or, or this audience isn't necessarily um, it, they're not a black or white audience. They understand that shades of grey. Um, and again, armed with that information um, and kind of two sides of every story, they're happy to change their perception of a brand or they're happy to change their kind of their, their belief. And as a news organisation, that's perfect. That's exactly what we're here to do. You know, we aren't, um, The Guardian isn't just aimed at a, a younger demographic or an older demographic. We want to broaden our entire readership to increase the impact our amazing journalism has. And so to kind of have that message or that, um, that kind of growth strategy around just building total audiences, but a more progressive audience is, is where this stuff is really landing. I might just call you up there though, Mason, progressive, because we talked about this uh, earlier, is that progressive in the US is not a great thing to some people. Define for our, our listeners uh, what you mean by progressive. Progressive audience is actually someone that is the ability for them to see shades of grey, have their opinion changed, um, open to new ideas and opinions. So they're much more flexible of mind. It's a good catch, Paul, because the one thing that in terms of this purposeful research, and this was a, uh, a global piece that you mentioned um, earlier, we did it in the US, AU and the, um, and the UK. Um, progressive, all those five pillars of purpose came up in both the UK and US, the one outlier was progressive, which is, I think, in the US, and that's because it's become so politicised and actually um, isn't necessarily what, uh, you know, Australians or, or a UK population would say is what is progressive. Well, it equates to probably polarising, doesn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. So listen, yeah. just um, uh, I'm interested in what Amber and, and Scott are doing in terms of publicly communicating the purpose agenda. You touched on it a little bit, Amber, with what you'd done with the environmental campaign. I think you did it with The Guardian. How far are you going in your public communications on your purpose agenda and where you're headed? Good question. So we are very focused on the digital uh, environment for communicating um, around these kind of sustainability um, areas and these kind of risk areas for the industry. One thing we established now about 18 months ago is a platform called You Ask, We Answer. So it sits on our website and it's really demonst demonstrating our commitment to being transparent and open um, as an industry. People can come in, they can type uh, any question they want about the industry. Already, I think there are about 200 plus questions that we've answered um, on a, anything, you know, anything, everything's on the table. 
um, to for people to ask and, and we're really encouraging people and we're We'll be at the start of next year running a campaign. You must get some. You must get some curlies in there, though. Surely some of the questions. Yeah, yeah. There are always a few doozies. Yeah, but <laughs> but on the whole, some really some people really wanting to um, understand um, what's going on, what action we're taking, but also to just get more depth and and hear from third parties and understand references and so on around lots of different. Uh, topic areas so that's been a great um, demonstration of our transparency and how much are you doing so that's kind of your own channels and your social channels are you doing much in terms of the advertising side like literally either broader reach or or, or advertising to get the message beyond yep so we um have regular search campaigns running driving to our content but then we've as i mentioned had partnerships running with the guardian to really um, explore and go deep on certain content areas um, in terms of above the line, you know, TV, um, print, we more focus that messaging on um, our other audience, which are the dairy believers. So those guys already feel pretty positive about dairy and it's around cementing um, and reinforcing that existing belief and trust in the product. So at the moment we're running a campaign around supporting Aussie dairy and reinforcing some of those health benefits. So that real uh, outward facing is more um, on the positive but then that deeper dive very much sits in that digital um, environment at this point in time. Scott, for you, how, how hard do you push your purpose messaging in your communications across the board, paid, owned, earned, social, and things that I can't think of? <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the key for us is not so much uh, pushing the purpose message. We, we, we survey why our our customers join us. And while we definitely see, you know, um, a really high return response rates for us being an ethical or responsible organisation, people still join us primarily because we're an excellent, um, uh, pro providing excellent quality product um, that, that they need. I think that this stuff becomes the, the deciding factor between when you've got two similar organisations, are you going to go with one? And it helps tip people over the line on that front. Or two similar products, as you say, right? Yeah. It could be just a, it's a product choice. Exactly. So, and one of the things that I think is really key just about how we communicate, and this is touching on a thing that Amber mentioned around asking questions. I mean, McDonald's uh, sought to demystify and sort of deal with what was being said about it out there by saying, well, we're going to answer any question you've got. Yeah. And, and I think that transparency is really key. What One of our customer promises is don't bullshit me. Um, so often when we talk about how we're going to communicate or what we're going to say externally, um, uh, our staff and our people are our harshest critics about what what we're going to say and if it doesn't pass that sort of test about our our promise to ourselves and our customers then we we sort of won't talk about it it's a, it's it's created culturally a really a good approach to how we discuss what we're really doing mm, right, good and, and mason what are you seeing in terms of i guess the activity from brands at the guardian around this area are you seeing more campaigns are you seeing more interest or endeavor uh in this area there definitely is. There's, um, and also from brands that you wouldn't necessarily have previously thought. So, you know, like Australia Post and Toyota, uh, Volvo. You know, I know Julie's been on on the podcast before, and they're doing some amazing work in this space. But just one of the things that you know, both Scott and Amber have have kind of mentioned is this this trustworthy and kind of authentic messaging. I, I can't kind of stress that enough in terms of what came through in in the research is that 
consumers want um, want that information and for it to be authentic and driven through the organisation. I think the the one piece that um, that one of the pieces of kind of research that came through is uh, tokenistic kind of gestures are definitely out, and they'll they'll have a, a, a almost a call out culture, which is where I think brands if they are trying to jerk, go on this purpose journey, um, can sometimes trip themselves up because they may have done it once or twice and then been bitten by it. And then that's where this, they get the, oh, I'm not going to go there because my, I, you know, things aren't perfect. But I think as an organization, if you're genuinely committed to it and then driving that through not just um, comm strategy, but actually through the organization as well, that's where you have that authenticity and that's your kind of your ticket to play in this space. So it's it's almost like you know being open about the fact you haven't nailed it yet is is the sort of that gives you that gives the brand or the company some wiggle room. Yeah, it's it's and that's also you know that's being truthful. You know, there's very few brands that are perfect, and even those brands that you know that were born purposeful, yeah, make mistakes. The challenge for those brands is when that is part of their DNA and they make a mistake, they're often the ones that get the the largest fallout. Whereas Brands that are on that journey, if they do trip up, if they make a mistake, if they two two steps forward, one step back, consumers are quick to forgive um, and actually are, are really supportive of that. And again, that's that's kind of in the culture of the Guardian. You know, our solutions based journalism is exactly that. We shine light on on issues in order for stuff to move forward in a more progressive and kind of um, positive kind of light. And so being able to have that nuanced conversation and understand that you know, things aren't perfect. Um, but if we're making steps in the right direction, that's what consumers are encouraging. And that's why, you know, to Scott's point, um, people will take, choose one product over another if they can see that particular brand is moving forward. And I think the other piece that came through loud and clear in this research, and it's the first time we've ever seen it, is that consumers now are actually willing to um, – except a, a slightly lower quality product, um, you know, all things relatively held even, or in fact actually pay more for a brand or a product that they perceive to be more purposeful. Um, and again, this is the first time we've ever seen that. Previously, it's, it's I want my, you know, I want my toast to be purposeful, I want my milk to be purposeful, but I'm not willing to pay for it. Um, but now they're actually going, uh, uh, it means more to me than it previously ever has. And so I'm willing to pay for that. I think if I recall correctly as well, uh, purpose, however you define it, is sort of in the top 10 for the first time in, in consideration set for purchasing. Did that come through in your research? Is that right? Yeah. So if if we looked back at some of the old research that we've that we've done previously and, and across the industry around reasons to, um, reasons to buy across pretty much every single category purpose, five, six, seven years ago, didn't rate in the top 10. Now across every single category, purpose um, is sits within the top 10 kind of attributes as to why you would buy a product um, or your key, key consideration. And if you actually think about that in the, in the last you know, four or five years, there's been this tremendous shift in it moving into. If we extrapolate that out, in the next two, three years, we expect purpose to be certainly in the top three of pretty much every single in every single category um, as to reasons why someone would buy that product or not. Right. Now to the curly one, and Amber, you get to um, answer this one first. It's, it's measurement, measuring the impact, measuring the success of what you've been doing around y- your purpose program. How are you measuring it? How are you quantifying it? 
how you are in, ensuring that you're on track? What what is what is the what's the data you you sort of relying on to tell you you're doing okay? For us, our sort of north star is trust. So trust in our industry and trust in the products, and we know that the flow on effect of that, it's it's at the heart of social license to operate. And the flow on effect is subsequently people purchasing product. So we're very focused on trust. We undertake an annual trust tracker and then we do quarterly dips to get a, a read on certain campaigns. But it's that annual tracking that gives us a read on, on how we're measuring um, against trust and, and other key metrics along the way. So what we've seen since we launched um, this strategy to approximately two years ago is we've seen um, a positive shift in trust. It really peaked during COVID as people really valued the Australian food supply. But that uh, heightened level of trust has been maintained since baseline. Um, and we're seeing some of those perceptions around the industry caring for the environment, taking care of its animals, health and nutrition, also seeing positive shifts and an uplift. So you know, campaign by campaign, we see positive results, as I mentioned with the Guardian Environment campaign, really strong engagement and positive um, there. But across the board, with this, with these change makers and general public as a whole, we're seeing traction. We're seeing that we're making a difference slowly, but we're chipping away at what matters, what matters to us and that social licence to operate. So that sounds like all cream to your dairy farmers. I had to go there. I'm sorry, um, Scott. How are you measuring what you're doing in, in and around purpose? What's the key? What are the key sort of uh, factors? I mean, I, I touched on it before. We are we are tracking the reasons why people join us, and, and if if people if it's resonating, and it still is a key driver for, you know, I would I would estimate up to about a quarter of our new customers are sort of saying, look, I'm joining you because of the sort of organisation you are. Um, Obviously, there's more traditional things like NPS, but for me personally, I'm also the bank's customer advocate. So we're very close to our customer feedback and we're very clear on what our customers are telling us or aren't telling us. We're only, we're only a small organisation, about a, a, a thousand, bit over a thousand staff um, and very flat. So we're very close to the customer response to anything. So we would know very quickly if people felt like we were you know, a little bit too focused on sort of purpose stuff or stances or taking positions on things, or um, equally, if people think that our behaviour is inconsistent with our positions, they're very quick to tell us that and we and we respond to it very fast. Trust is a big thing came through, uh, Mason. I think, as I feared, we're going to run out of time. So trust on that, but also if you go from trust and touch on that really, really interesting uh, observation that I think is out of your research around the tolerance levels uh, towards purpose-born brands and those that are essentially dropping in, as my surfy son may may say. But um, yes, that 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 sort of that notion of tolerance and trust. Yeah, I think the um, I mentioned earlier, but I think brands that were born purposeful, when they if it when it forms part of their DNA and they make a mistake, consumers are uh, they're less forgiving because their their I think their perception and their understanding of why you're buying that product is for those reasons. And actually, again, one of the core consideration factors is, as to why you buy that product over another is that brand's purpose. So, you know, there is, there's a couple of instances where, where brands haven't necessarily um, been or, or tripped themselves up in that space. And it's not because they haven't, and I don't really want to mention brand names, but it's not because they haven't actively, um, they haven't been purposeful, purposely misleading. 
But when there's been a common misperception, they haven't actively stepped into that and said, hey, by the way, you know, that is actually not the case around our particular brand or our particular product. Well, before you go there, you can't say it, but I can because I'm a bastard journo. So a really good example of that is thank you and the not-for-profit perception, right? So if the public would perceive, and I did perceive thank you to be a not-for-profit, but and it was that that kind of was a slight trip up, which, you know, I still buy the product, but it was it, that's the sort of scenario you're talking about? Yeah. So- Sorry to put you in a corner, but yes, I just did. <laughs> yeah. So yes, there's... Thank You Water is the profit side of that organisation or, or that the Thank You brand. And obviously, Thank You then supports their charity organisation work that they do. But I think there was there was a mis- misunderstanding or a misrepresentation or just consumers thought that Thank You as a brand was also not for profit and that wasn't, wasn't the case. And when consumers found out and they didn't make that connection between the charity side, there was fallout um, in that space. And it does get us to this next notion of purpose washing, greenwashing, whatever you want to call it. And and I'd imagine, uh, Amber, that the dairy industry could be um, uh, accused by some perhaps certainly some activists, if you like, of trying to maybe do a little bit of that. Um, is is it does it does it hit? Does it kind of land anywhere? Come on your radar that notion of oh, um, you know, this is this is a glossy glossy exercise. Well, I guess you know there'll always be critics, but we're really trying to. Um, talk to those people who want to listen, who are genuinely interested in finding out more information about the industry and focusing on giving them the information that they need um, and sharing our story and trying to balance the narrative. So, you know, we we have our agenda, you know, we want to we want to tell people about the great things we're doing and it's important to us as an industry because it's important that our farmers and manufacturers get recognition for the hard work that they are doing to try and make positive changes for the future. So that is important to us. But equally, we want to respond to consumers and address concerns. So there's that two-way street. And of course, there are always going to be people who disagree or think that, yes, we are just, you know, trying to cover up or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, I guess we've we've got a, a journey that we want to go on and that's important to us in our industry. So heaven forbid um, a bank could be accused of purpose washing Scott but in the broader context of just that whole notion of of authenticity and, and purpose washing is there a risk there is there a, is there and what's your what's your sense for both you and the market at large and how they manage that yeah I think there absolutely is at me we've got a co-branded pink uh, debit card with the National Breast Cancer Foundation and sometimes we get questions about the, the strength of that relationship and whether it's pink washing but I think the key is we've had a long-term relationship with them. This is no fly-by-night operation. And we have a really strong linkage internally and externally through another relationship with the Mother's Day Classic that also supports the National Breast Cancer Foundation. And that resonates extremely strong with our customers, but more so with our staff that go to the Mother's Day Classic every year and absolutely love it and, and fundraise. I think the key is if, if we're not going to have tolerance for brands that are just starting out, you know, not every organisation is a natural-born Patagonia. And if we really care about doing good, if we, we need to support organisations that are also facing into the same sort of collective challenges that we all have. And that doesn't mean that does mean allowing some tolerance or a bit of space for brands that are perhaps just starting out um, and are looking to solve the same problems we're all trying to solve. 
And I guess it comes back to Amber's point about actually having the plan, having the access to the information, so there's transparency and um, and this sort of acknowledgement that this is a journey. It's a good point. So um, we, we're in, in the closing stages here. So the, the Guardian research study. I want to get um, from both uh, from all of you. Um, what which bit of the findings? What findings uh, were most meaningful to to where you and your organisations are at in there? What 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 landed for you, Amber? Maybe to you first. I am assuming you've read it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I went went to a great presentation when we were able to do things in person, and I actually got to meet Mason in person. I guess the research really confirmed that we are on the right track, and that we are uh, as Australian dairy that we are better to be open and be transparent and share our journey and, and talk to different points along that continuum. Um, so, so it really confirmed that for us. I guess now the question is, lots of other brands are doing it, so how do we get cut through and, and how do we keep telling new and different stories that are going to engage our audience? I think that's our next challenge um, about finding that way in and being heard amongst all other industries wanting to share their purpose, go on that journey because that's becoming increasingly um, important. Yeah, it's it's a really good it's a really good observation because um, it, can, it can get really cluttered out there in and around that territory, right? So great points. Um, Scott, your standout observations from that that study. What I really appreciated was the consumer viewpoint on what purpose was and how it was characterised. So the five pillars are actually an enormously useful tool to sort of talk internally and externally about the value of purpose. And, and I think the other bit which we touched on a bit earlier is around the perhaps patience or tolerance that some consumers have for organisations that are just getting started. Um, and I think that's actually encouraging because um, for us as marketers or communications people or just anyone who works in an organisation, it may encourage us to think about new things we might want to try that perhaps haven't been something we've done forever that you know, consumers may, that may resonate with consumers if we're just going to try something new and say that we're on a path to something. So I think that's really encouraging as well. Mason, what uh, Amber and Scott have, have, have raised there, is that consistent across uh, what you're seeing in the market with when you've been in there presenting this stuff? Yeah, it's, um, it's exactly what, uh, I think it's what a lot of brands have been challenged with um, when wanting to talk about this uh, and purpose and the journey that those brands are on. So absolutely stepping into the conversation. I think some of the stuff that both Amber and Scott mentioned um, is really insightful. You know, the, as a brand, don't be afraid to have that conversation and don't be afraid to step into it because I fear sometimes what happens is it's that echo chamber um, and brands don't insert themselves into that and um, give them give those people the, the information or um, inform them well enough. Uh, brands often kind of go, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be seen as being disingenuous in that space where in actual fact, if you've got the research and you have the, the credibility and the authenticity absolutely have a conversation with them. And, you know, again, from a change maker, Amber mentioned, I've called, we call them progressives. Those consumers that may have a preconceived notion or a perception are 100% willing to change that when armed with that information. So I think that's the bit that I found, uh, I found really interesting. And every conversation that I've been having with, um, with marketers and agencies is that, that piece around, you're better to start the journey and start that conversation rather than waiting for it to be perfect because it's never going to be. So, so get going. Well, it's very human, really, isn't it? That's the irony of that. It would, not, not many of us are perfect, uh, including me. Outrageous. 
who said that. Um, to wind this thing up, the last question for all of you, the next 12 months, um, what does it look like for each of you around your purpose agenda? Uh, Amber first. For us, it's really continuing to test and learn and seeing what resonates and leaning into those challenging conversations and topics um, with, with our audiences. You know, we're going to explore um, animal care a bit more. That's something that's really contentious with consumers. Um, expand on that You Ask, We Answer platform, encouraging traffic, encouraging people to ask questions to demonstrate that transparency. Um, and yeah, just continuing to have a presence um, and talking to that interested audience um, and listening and hearing insights to help inform the way we move forward. Oh, good on you, because it, it's brave in some ways. It could be a bit scary for some to breach some of those edgy areas, if you like. So, you know, that's, that's the staring into the into the wind is a, is a good is a good move. Scott, for you, the next 12 months, um, what's what's key? Well, I mean, you mentioned um, Bank of Queensland at the top, mm. and um, we'll be working on uh, joining forces with Bank of Queensland to become a really positive force in Australian banking, a challenger to the big four. Um, and we t- talked about people Um I'm enormously encouraged by the people I've already met from Bank of Queensland since we've we've sort of joined forces on July 1 um, and I'm really looking forward to working with them. You get a really strong sense of um, uh, how they see the organisation and what they see the organisation can be in the future. So it's, it's really encouraging. And I did. I did note at the time of the uh, the acquisition, it was rather than the merger, that but Bank of Queensland said they were absolutely going to keep the uh, me brand. So it's not going anywhere. You're still there, going to do purpose at me, uh, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Confirmed. He says yes. You're right. But well, at least he hopes so. Uh, Mason, um, final thoughts from you. Um, so the next twelve months, what does it look like? Yeah. Well, the, the, there's two sides, obviously, for for our organisation. From an editorial point of view, we you know we want to continue to deliver that truthful, powerful journalism because that's what our consumers and readers are coming to us um, on a daily basis for. You know, we've been growing tremendously over the last couple of years um, and we want to continue that that huge growth, so 40, 48% growth year on year since 2018. Um, sorry, I had to get the shameless plug in there. No, you're allowed. Great, thank you. But from but from a um, an advertising side of our business, what I'm you know really excited about doing is is working with these brands um, to start having this conversation and actually supporting them through this um, and sharing their brand story and their kind of purpose story with our audience because um, the audience is is um, ripe for it. They love this. They love this stuff. And this point, you know, consumers are spending 12 minutes with brands reading about this stuff, and so. That's the stuff that excites me over the next 12 months is is kind of merging those two things together. Well, Amber Beaumont, Scott Dare, Mason Rook, uh, a, a genuinely refreshing uh, contribution to the debate, I think. So thanks for joining. Stay safe. Thanks very much, Paul. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.